Welcome to the Biz Times MKE podcast. I'm Arthur Thomas, an associate editor at Biz Times Milwaukee. We've got a special episode for you today. In late January, Biz Times held its annual Economic Trends event. While it was virtual this year, it was still full of insights that business leaders can apply in their work every day. On today's episode, I want to take you through some of the highlights from each of our three speakers, including a macroeconomic outlook from economist Mike Knetter, the president of UW Foundation, a closer look at employment markets from Ryan Festerling, president of Brookfield-based staffing firm QPS Employment Group, and a tour through the manufacturing sector with Blake Moret, chairman and CEO of Rockwell Automation. If you're interested in hearing more from our speakers or downloading their presentations, please visit biztimes.com trends. This event was made possible by our sponsors, Annex Wealth Management, BMO Harris Bank, Toro Group, and Vistage. With that, let's get into some of the key takeaways from our 2021 Economic Trends event. We'll start with Mike Knetter. He's a regular at our Economic Trends event, and as always, he offered a look back at his predictions from last year's event. In this case, he pointed out that one of the last questions from the audience at our 2020 event was about what would become known as the COVID-19 pandemic. At the time, it was barely on their radar for most people. But in case you, remi- you need a reminder of how fast things can change, it was less than two months later that states were beginning to shut down to prevent the spread of the coronavirus. Dr. Knetter uh, offered his usual um, traditional predictions for the stock market, GDP, and other metrics. But for me, the point he made around what political divisions mean for our economy stood out. Let's take a listen. And the inability of politicians to work together today is really stunning in its contrast with what you see everywhere else in the economy where collaboration is a bigger and bigger and more valued phenomenon. So the information, ideological, and identity divides have to be mitigated by leaders to have a healthy economy and society. And I hope that maybe some of the events that we've gone through in recent months, uh, really, it seems like all of 2020, can maybe be a wake-up call for us. But if it isn't, I'm not very optimistic that we'll have a better one. Knetter also covered inflation, an area of concern for some, especially considering the amount of stimulus pumped into the economy over the last year. In this clip, he talks about what it might take for some areas of the economy to see inflation. Inflation. It's been remarkably calm, and of course the pandemic didn't do anything to accelerate it. There was a moment there where I think we thought, there would be sectors and pockets of higher inflation, and indeed there are in certain areas, but overall inflation has been down. I think that could change pretty dramatically as demand picks back up, and so uh, I'll be looking for that during the course of this year. So consumers have, those who have been able to continue working, probably have built up some savings. They, they probably have some pent-up demand, and demand for certain goods and services are almost surely gonna outstrip supply because supply was gutted in the pandemic. So if we revert back to, we all wanna go out to dinner at the same time, I think you're gonna see that get a lot more pricey very quickly just because the supply isn't there. Uh, Commodities could also spike, especially energy, 
And I think we'll see that particularly in the United States because I think the dollar is probably going to remain a little bit weaker this year than it was for the balance of 2020. So those things would all contribute to a little uptick in inflation. In our next clip, Kinder discusses consumer confidence. This seems like one of the key areas for any economic recovery as we have wider distribution of the COVID-19 vaccine. When will people return to restaurants or movie theaters? Will consumers regain confidence all at once, or will it be more like turning a dial? Uh, Meredith Meyer wrote a great story in our latest issue on a a related similar topic, but let's listen to this clip with uh, Mike Netter discussing his thoughts. So confidence obviously fell as the pandemic struck, and it really hasn't recovered yet to this point uh, commensurate with the way the, the, the economy has. You know, unemployment has recovered to a great extent. What's going on here? Well, wealth is at an all-time high. Most people are still working. Inflation is low. Interest rates are low. Why not more confidence? Well, you know, people are still worried about the virus. We have to deal with that, take care of it. We're also, you know, eight months into this pandemic or thereabouts, and people are exhausted uh, and, and in some cases depressed. It's been a very difficult time for a lot of people. So I think that really erodes confidence. And then I think there's just more what I would call deep structural uncertainty about the economy. Our monetary policy is in a different place than it's ever been. Fiscal policy seems out of control, you know, and and yet we're told we need an even bigger stimulus package. And, you know, maybe we do, but, you know, if if I was worried about debt and deficits a year ago, you can imagine how I feel today. Uh, Even though we have to deal with this, it's not like we came into this period with a nice cushion. Um, There's more political uncertainty than there's ever been in my lifetime. I don't know how the parties are going to evolve and work together after all that we've been through. And our global institutions, um, you know, our relationships with allies are just in a different place. So there's a lot of things that are unresolved right now. And I think that uncertainty probably chips away at consumer confidence. And business confidence isn't great either at this point. And I think they're waiting for the pandemic to be resolved and probably getting whiplash from uh, fiscal policy by executive order. Hopefully, uh, it's really mostly the pandemic that's weighing on confidence. If so, that will fade uh, around mid-year in my estimation, and we could see confidence return very quickly, and then consumer spending might really snap back. In our fourth clip, uh, Mike Netter offers his perspective on what a post-coronavirus world might look like. Obviously, the pandemic has altered so much about how companies do business. And while, as Kendra points out, those capabilities are now part of the offering for many companies, the question is, what will consumers want? So all of the changes on the supply side are going to stay with firms. It's in their arsenal. Their productivity and opportunity set is changed permanently by all these innovations. Consumers is another matter. They could go back to wanting things exactly the way they were before the pandemic. But I think a lot of households discovered things through this experience that they actually like better. Um, Some of it is because firms are better at delivering in this remote world than they were previously. But some of it is I think people really learned something about their preferences and have been able to, I think, trade some money for time. And I I expect they're going to continue to make that trade. I think people enjoyed having a slightly less busy life. 
Finally, let's turn to what was a major part of the remarks for our first two speakers, the workforce. The unemployment rate skyrocketed to double digits when the pandemic first hit. And after steadily declining over the summer, the improvement has seemed to stall out. In this clip, Knetter discusses his outlook for returning to the low unemployment rates we saw before the pandemic. Getting back to full employment is not going to be simple because the pandemic's not over. Uh, Whenever we increase the support for people who are out of work, we are inevitably discouraging a little bit the incentives for people to return. They might choose to pursue other activities, non-labor market activities, maybe to do some work on the side, taking care of people's yards or house, house cleaning, et cetera, and never get back in the labor force, or at least not for a while. Many of the former employers are gone. So all of those factors together tell me that that last 5% gap in employment that we have to fill is going to take longer. Our second speaker at Economic Trends was Ryan Festerling, president of QPS Employment Group, a staffing firm that typically has around 7,000 temporary employees on assignment with clients across the Midwest on any given day. So no, it goes without saying, Ryan has kind of a good uh, window into what's going on in the labor market. Uh, Ryan pointed out that in manufacturing, orders have generally returned to pre-pandemic levels, but production has not. And he highlighted that employees in that kind of, he described as like the 13 to maybe $18 an hour range, uh, often working in manufacturing or warehouse environments, are kind of the leading edge of what's happening in the workforce. And he pointed out that these workers are often feeling the impact of the pandemic stresses at kind of a, you know multiples more uh, than people at higher pay levels. He also pointed out that you know keep, uh, QPS, saw pay rates increase four to six percent in 2020 which was a jump from the three to four percent increases the company saw in 2018 and 2019. in this first clip he discusses what qps is seeing in terms of applications for open positions so if i were to just ask you a question and say that the average pay rate has gone up more this year than it did last year well, certainly with high under unemployment rates, you'd have more applicants. With all the folks in hospitality that have had a challenging time finding work, surely there are more applicants. And the answer for our book of business anyway is no. In this next clip, Ryan highlights what QPS is experiencing when it comes to turnover. If we could all put ourselves back into Uh, pre-pandemic mode, let's say it's February, we're in the boardroom, we're having a conversation with our HR teams, and we are talking about the space that I'm referring to. Um, I don't think anybody in February of 2020 thought that turnover was great. If we remember a year ago, turnover was challenging. Finding people was challenging. It was really hard. Well, Fast forward, when the pandemic hit, turnover went up. And so again, I I know that the recency effect for all of us is is alive and real, but when you think about all the things that happened through the pandemic, turnover went up. Now, good news is for us, we saw that peak probably in the the first week of September starting to go down, um, almost at pre-pandemic levels. Why is that important to talk about? Because I actually think some companies have done some really great things to drive this. 
The other question that I would ask all of you that are involved in understanding the labor markets and hiring, I think a lot of companies have figured out that turnover costs are high, right? When you have turnover, you assign a cost to it based on some assumptions within your business. But I'm not so sure that we have added the, the kicker, so to speak, that says, how much harder is it to recruit or is it easier to recruit? That actually makes the cost of turnover either more or less. And so through the pandemic, we had a double whammy. We had turnover going up and the cost to recruit also going up. One of Ryan's final thoughts was a piece of advice for business leaders when it comes to engaging with their employees during this challenging time. We have to listen to our employees more than we ever have. They're smart. They have great ideas. Reaching out and, and, and thinking about ways to be proactive in our communication. And I believe that people are going to remember how you were treated through this. I remember how I was treated by our owners. And we've created loyalty. I also know some folks that can't wait to leave what they're doing because they didn't get great communication. They don't feel like they were cared about. But redefining flexibility, and not just for office people, is going to be key. Our third speaker at Economic Trends was Blake Moret, the chairman and CEO of Rockwell Automation. I had the opportunity to ask Blake questions as part of the Q&A format we used for his remarks. So you'll hear my follow-up questions in some of these clips. Rockwell makes the equipment and technology manufacturers in a number of industries used in their factories. That makes Blake a great executive to talk to about where companies are going and what kind of investments they're making. To start, I asked Blake for his outlook for 2021. I think we're heading for better times. Uh, I think uh, we're expecting to see growth uh, through the year. Uh, certainly in our fiscal year, we've guided to growth, uh, both organically and uh, uh, with the additional help of recent acquisitions that we've made. I think um, you know it's gonna be uneven based on the vertical industry segment. So we'll see life sciences uh, with uh, strong growth for obvious reasons. Uh, people have a particular need for medicine, medicines and obviously the vaccine. Uh, so uh, we expect to uh, participate in the growth of those areas food and beverage. Uh, people are going to continue to want to eat, I think, and uh, uh, water, water treatment uh, is a strong industry with uh, strong secular trends. At the other end, um, when you look at uh, oil and gas, for instance, historically we've seen process applications like that tend to lag the more discrete or hybrid manufacturing processes by a few quarters. Uh, so oil and gas, maybe mining a little bit, those will probably be uh, a bit further behind in terms of their recovery. Again, one of the reasons to have Blake join us for economic trends is that Rockwell has visibility into the investments companies are making. One potential silver lining many people have looked for from the pandemic is that it might bring more manufacturing back to the U.S. as companies look to avoid being caught unable to get their products to their markets. In this clip, Blake discusses what Rockwell is experiencing on that front. Uh, we're, um, we're definitely seeing in certain industries and at certain customers uh, increases, um, increased investment in capacity in North America uh, for sure and specifically in the U.S. We're seeing that um, primarily in the discrete 
and in the hybrid um, uh, industry segments. So if you're a process uh, company, you typically have to be close to the primary resource. You're probably not going to move away from that. But if you're manufacturing um, cars or semiconductors, um, medical devices, um, those sorts of things, you have a little bit more portable manufacturing uh, process. And we're definitely seeing examples in those areas of people bringing back manufacturing as part of a larger theme of resilience. It's about eliminating single points of failure. It's about creating modern factories with the technology to allow more remote work, more traceability. All of those things are part of that theme of resilience that's driving increased spend that we're seeing right here in the U.S. With the increased investment companies are making being more a matter of resilience, not necessarily relocation, Blake went on to discuss how Rockwell is creating its own resilience by adding capabilities at plants in Cleveland and at its Milwaukee headquarters for parts it makes in Singapore and Poland, respectively. He also discussed how the company is doing more work to plan ahead for future challenges by widening the aperture of what it considers possible. He mentioned that Rockwell brings diverse teams from across the company to work on this planning. So I asked why it was important to have diversity of thought during these exercises. Diverse teams make better decisions. Uh, if, uh, if you don't have diversity in all its forms uh, with different perspectives, then you're going to um, almost inevitably um, narrow your aperture and create some sort of tunnel vision where you all have the same sort of assumptions and uh, it may leave you with a blind spot towards uh, either a challenge that's uh, disruptive to you or a new opportunity that you can take advantage of. In a recent interview with Accenture, Blake mentioned the need for companies to act without having all the information and the challenge industrial companies have taking that step. Given southeastern Wisconsin's reliance on manufacturing, I asked him how our region measures up. At this point, you know, most of us who, who come from those sorts of, you know, heritages recognize the importance of moving fast. We understand that the pace of business is picking up, and particularly in manufacturing, which has been a, a slower moving, you know, kind of time uh, constant, we're seeing that pick up. And some of that is based on the increased influence of IT um, decision makers, technologies. It just moves faster. And so creating a culture that supports that is probably the most important step. Once you understand the need for moving faster and being able to take decisions without having maybe as much information as you would ideally be comfortable with, then you have to put a culture in place that values um, the sense of urgency, that values um, diversity of perspectives throughout the organization, that takes an outside-in approach. Uh, and these are all hallmarks of uh, the culture that we talk about every day within Rockwell, and uh, I think we're getting some good traction with it. How do you foster those, um, those traits in, in a culture? How have you gone about trying to to you know, reinforce them when you see the right things happening? Well, you, you have to be precise about the way you describe it, and you have to do that consistently. So I talk about these things and the, the pillars of our cultural evolution, if you will, the same way over and over again. Talking about willing to compare ourselves against the very best choices 
that different stakeholders have, increased speed of decision making, steady stream of new ideas, the continued strengthening of a culture of integrity, diversity, and inclusion. We talk about this over and over consistently, regardless of the audience, whether it's to a, a public audience, whether it's internally, whether it's to my staff, and to bring it to life. And so by doing that, and then by showing examples of the behaviors that support these sorts of um, uh, aspects of our culture, I think that's how you can make it real and have employees develop a direct line of sight between what they do and how they act and how it supports that culture. Mm -hmm. Finally, I asked Blake for his predictions for 2021. In planning our economic trends event, we always ask our speakers to plan to offer a few thoughts on what the year might bring. Here's what Blake had to say. So I'm going to I'm going to structure these along those themes of uh, resilience, agility and sustainability that we've been talking about. I think we're going to see in 2021 manufacturers pick up the amount of investments to increase their resilience, whether it's eliminating single points of failure, more remote technology, cybersecurity, um, or uh, in some cases, reshoring. I think in agility, I think the overall pace of decision-making within manufacturing is going to increase uh, from what it's been for the past decades. I think we're going to see a faster pace, again, as IT and operational technology converge. And then finally, I think we're going to see 2021 as a watershed year uh, for sustainability as companies continue to recognize that this is a problem that has to be met and it has to be met now. And we're going to see manufacturers as well as partnerships within with other suppliers, with the government, um, really pick up um, their uh, efforts to create a more sustainable future. Mm -hmm. Is there anything in particular you see as kind of uh, the catalyst to that watershed um, moment? Well, I, I think uh, the uh, increased understanding of the science behind it uh, and the, the recognition that manufacturers have to play a large role in this. So much of energy is consumed in manufacturing processes is one. And two, it's the employees that work for our companies who are very, very concerned about it and they want to see their employer taking concrete steps to address the problem. It's part of a recruitment uh, um, set of values that uh, we see new employees very concerned about. That will wrap it up. I hope you enjoyed these highlights from our Economic Trends event. Our speakers offered so many insights and there is a lot more to take away from the full versions which are available at biztimes.com slash trends. Thank you again to our sponsors, Annex Wealth Management, BMO Harris Bank, Toro Group, and Vistage. And thank you for listening. This is Dan Meyer with BizTimes Media. You've been listening to the BizTimes MKE podcast. For more business news and insights, be sure to go to biztimes.com and subscribe to any of our daily e-newsletters and our magazine, BizTimes Milwaukee.